Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to bless you today as we get things started. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I'm just here to love on you today. It's kind of nice that we're getting a little bit of a break in the cold weather here in Minneapolis. It's uh, actually about 24 degrees today, and it feels like spring fever. There's kids walking around here on campus in short sleeve shirts. I'm thinking it's not that warm, but, you know, when you're a college kid, you do all kinds of crazy stuff. Anyway, we got a great show. Dr. Alex McFarland is going to be joining me in just a minute, and then Pastor Alan Wright will be coming on the program. He wrote a cool book called The Power to Bless, How to Speak Life and Empower the People You Love. Got a nice forward by Gary Chapman, who's the author of The Five Love Languages. So that's going to be an awesome hour, and then we've got a phenomenal replay of an interview I did with uh, Lee Strobel. So that's going to be what the show is today. So let's get things started with Dr. Alex McFarland. He's a regular guest and friend, and awfully glad to always talk to him. Alex, welcome. Oh, Bill, it's so good to talk with you. And uh, hey, by the way, you mentioned Dr. Gary Chapman and Mm -hmm. Lee Strobel, both good friends of mine. I'm going to be with Dr. Chapman in about a week to do an interview, but I applaud you on your great content and great programming, Bill. You're a you're a blessing to me, but you're a blessing to millions mm. of others. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, yeah, interesting article today. It was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I found this encouraging. Uh, Dr. Marty uh, Macquarie, who is a surgeon at John Hopkins School of Medicine, said that he feels that we will be at herd immunity by April. We'll be mostly wow. gone by April. That's wow. a doctor's well, opinion. What a blessing that would be. Oh, wouldn't that be that awesome? Would be. Mm-hmm. That, would be, that would be awesome. You know, I was watching a story the other day about just the economic toll worldwide. And, you know, this is an historic happening. I mean, regardless of the political and social implications of, um, you know, are people leveraging school dismissals? And, and, and I know... Uh, well-intentioned or malicious, there have been people that tried to leverage COVID. But um, seriously, many people have died. Um, it's a legitimate uh, biological happening. And uh, this is really an unprecedented moment in world history. And the economic toll has been just beyond measure, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. It sure has. Now, there's been uh, some very challenging weather around pockets of the uh, United States this week. And I think in North Carolina, your hometown, there was, is there, was there a hurricane? Yeah, well, there was a tornado, Tor- actually. Tornado, that's what I meant. Two, yeah. And, you know, Bill, down south, we have this uh, very interesting invention called the ice storm. <laughs> you know, up in places like Minneapolis and St. Paul, you have very beautiful snow and uh, ice fishing. But we have ice storms, and it brings down trees and things like that. And 
you know, I'm kind of envious because it would be so nice just to get some snow. Oh, right. But, uh, uh, we had last week two tornadoes, one that went through um, kind of the southern coast of North Carolina, the northern coast of South Carolina. And we had another tornado inland in North Carolina. And, uh, of course, you know, ice storms that uh, – but nothing like Texas. Oh, my goodness, we've been praying for the people around Houston – so, as I'm sure you know, some two million Texans that have been without power, and it, it really has been uh, debilitating and fatal for some in the country. So, uh, you were talking about the students at, at the college walking around in short sleeves, <laughs> and I am. I don't know when I've ever felt so ready for spring to get here. How about you? Amen. I cannot wait. We just had our our, our polar snap of cold weather. It ran about eight or 10 days and it was I think it got to 25 below and with 32 below oh, wind chill and that's that's really cold uh, exactly yeah. exactly um, well you know I mean I know it's this is low hanging fruit uh, to say what I'm about to say is so glib for Christians to say this but even the the extremes of climate and weather, the vicissitudes of weather in this world kind of make me think about that perfect world that's coming for all who mm-hmm. know Jesus, that uh, there's coming what um, theologians call the peaceable kingdom when Christ returns and makes all things new. I, I've, I've had people ask me this, Bill, though, people struggling with doubt or maybe even a skeptic would say, well, you know, you've got tornadoes. A tornado might tear down a bar, but it also might kill an innocent family. You know, why does God let there be these things like, you know, tsunamis in the Asian world and famines in parts of the world? Um, why did God make the world this way? And, and, of course, the answer is God didn't make the world this way. You know, over and over in the book of Genesis, God looked over his creation and repeatedly said, it is good, it is good. And I, I know it's it's a stretch to think about, but even these debilitating weather patterns that can be, you know, costly, if not fatal, it's all because of the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we gripe about the way the world is, we've got to remember the way the world now is, is not the way the world was, and it's not the way the world is going to be. Um, God is going to make everything new, and even the weather and the flood of Noah, which, uh, for the record, I do believe in the flood of Noah, um, the way that the world functions now uh, is not the perfect creation God made. It was tainted by sin, but praise God, the day is coming when all things will be made new. Mm, I love that. Thank you for that, Alex. You sent me an article about Pastor Max Lucado. I didn't get a chance to look through it. Maybe you could share some of that information if it's newsworthy. Well, uh, thanks. You know, I was asked to comment on this earlier today. I got a call from a news network out of New York City. And uh, anyway, the National Cathedral in Washington, uh, Max Lucado was invited to speak at the National Cathedral. And he's a, you know, phenomenally best-selling evangelical author and pastor and leader. And, of course, um, because, as a Bible-believing Christian, Max Lucado in years past had spoken out against homosexuality, 
um, there was a great outcry such that um, two of the clergy that lead the National Cathedral issued an apology. Sorry we ever invited Max Licato. And, and that's unfortunate that, you know, someone who at times past has spoken for classical Christian orthodoxy, you know, that the National Cathedral would, you know, bend over backwards to apologize that they invited Max Licato because in 2004, 17 years ago, he preached a sermon that gave the biblical perspective on homosexuality. But, Bill, what makes it doubly sad for me is Max Licato has now apologized for having preached that sermon. And in times past for having, quote, spoken words that would, you know, harm the LGBT community. And he's pretty much bent over backwards to apologize for what the the Word of God clearly says. And I guess one of the reasons I sent you that particular link, and there's another, a younger kind of millennial age pastor that has now gone on record and saying, well, you know, the Bible can't be trusted, and the Bible is not the Word of God. And this is a pastor of a progressive Christian church, quote-unquote. I guess the reason I wanted to bring this topic with you, Bill, is to say that, listen, um, we cannot change, truncate, rewrite what the Bible says. And, And I don't feel like we should have to apologize what God has revealed to the world, and God did it so that we might be saved and converted. Um, the, the Word of God tells us of our sin and points the way to the Savior, and that's something that we should never backpedal on or apologize for. Amen to that. I appreciate that as well, Alex. Thank you so much for uh, talking about that article, and because uh, I didn't get a chance to read it, but you sent it, and I thought, I know Alex probably wants to talk about it, so I appreciate that. I need to take a very short break. When I come back, lots more with Dr. Alex McFarland. You can always go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex and his books and his writings and his blog. We'll be right back. back with Dr. Alex McFarland, regular contributor. I always love having Alex on. Alex, this came up yesterday in the show, and I wanted to get your um, take on this because you're, you're gentle, you're loving, but you're very firm in your commitment to the Word, and you're not comp- you are uncompromising, which I love about you. But we had a discussion yesterday among a panel of the very sad downfall of uh, Dr. Ravi Zacharias and the lack, what appeared to be the lack of accountability among his board. Did you see that as one of the critical problems uh, in his ministry and organization? Uh, Yeah, I did. I did. And, you know, I knew Ravi. Um, I I knew Ravi. And we had a, I'm just going to say this, Bill, and look, God used him uh, he was brilliant. Oh, my goodness. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant thinker. And uh, it's funny, Bill. I had a call 
from an attorney who accepted Christ under Ravi's teaching. And this attorney was very brilliant, and uh, but it had come to faith under Ravi Zacharias. Mm-hmm. And he called me two weeks ago yesterday, just very, very, very shaken. And um, he he basically wanted to know, do you think I really got saved? Oh, wow. You know, because a, a lot of revelations have come out. And, and look, I, I don't want to bash a, a man who's deceased and can't be here to defend himself, but some, you know, very, very uh, damning allegations have come out. And at the very least, one of the lessons of this is that we should not live a double life. I mean, um, if if you claim to walk with Jesus, and certainly if you make a a very high net worth income from working for Jesus, you should indeed live for Jesus. Every one of us should live so that after we are deceased, people don't have to do a cleanup job from the you know, revelations mm-hmm. we leave behind. But this particular attorney called me up and he said, look, you know, do you think I'm even saved? And of course, I said, listen, of course, um, the tomb is empty and Christ is risen, regardless of the life Ravi Zacharias lived. Amen. I mean, if Ravi, if Ravi had been an exemplary Christian, that wouldn't make Jesus more risen. And if Jesus, <laughs> if Ravi fell away, that wouldn't make Jesus less risen. The the Jesus you believed in is still Lord and Christ, regardless of the lifestyle of the messenger that gave you the, the content of the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, uh, Ravi spoke for me in, in four or five of our conferences. Um, you know, I've still got his cell phone number and his personal email and all that. But about a decade ago, we had a mutual friend that was caught in some sin, and Ravi and I had discussions about this person. And Ravi said something to me, and I mean, I could tell you where we were, but Ravi said, sometimes in leadership, you have to do things that are unethical. And I said, and keep in mind, Bill, I mean, I'm polite, and here's this guy that is a brilliant, you know, iconic speaker. And I, um, you know, I looked up to Ravi and I, I didn't want to argue with him too much because, you know, I used him to speak in my conferences. And frankly, you know, whenever I had his name on the poster, that meant I sold a thousand more registrations for one of my Truth for New Generation events. But I looked at him and I said, what? Because he was defending a, 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 a mutual friend that was caught in sin. And and he said, sometimes in leadership, you have to do things that are unethical. And I said, brother, with all, with all due respect, I categorically disagree. I, I don't think you ever have to do things that are unethical. And look, I, I don't know um, all of the story. I do know some people close to him. And, and I think that any, I'll put it this way, and then I'll let you respond, Bill. A board of oversight has a fiduciary responsibility to hold people accountable, um, to be circumspect, and nobody, nobody, I don't care how famous you are, I don't care how many books you've sold, 
nobody is beyond good accountability, and we never get on any kind of a pedestal that gives us a license to not live as humble, obedient disciples. And uh, Bill, it, it is unfortunate. I, I don't know the panel discussion you guys had, but there are a lot of people. Wednesday night, my wife and I met with one of Ravi's followers, a, a Christian lady, kind of a baby Christian, who got into apologetics and Christianity as an adult. And I'm telling you, she, this lady has been shaken to her core because if the messenger falls— people wonder, well, was the message really true? And I want to say unequivocally, look, Christ is risen. Christianity is true, regardless of the behavior of professed Christians. But it, but it is a most unfortunate thing, isn't it, Bill? It's terrible. And my listeners make me look smarter than I am, because I just got a, a great passage from a listener, Isaiah fifty five eleven. So shall my words be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So in other words, your yeah. point is very well uh, taken, Alex. I mean, uh, the, the, God's word goes out, and it doesn't. Um, it's not going to be dependent on the person that's delivering it. Yeah. I mean, let's say a, a, a doctor administers medicine and someone who was ill got well. And it later became known that that doctor had cheated on his medical exam and, you know, was a quack. Mm-hmm. Well, th- the medicine he administered was still efficacious and healed the sick person, regardless of the, you know, um, professional misconduct of the doctor that prescribed it. Mm-hmm. You know, but but see, D.L. Moody said this, and this is one of my favorite quotes in the 19th century great Christian leader, Dwight Moody, he said, out of 100 people, uh, one might read the Bible, but 99 would read the Christian. And people have, you know, made variations on that quote, like, you might be the only Bible somebody ever reads. Um, Actually, in truth, um, the reality of the gospel is in no way contingent on the behavior of the Christians. But the world doesn't see it that way. I mean, to the world, when when a baker or a swaggart or a, a Ravi Zacharias falls, the world says, aha, we knew it was false all along. And so we have the, um, the obligation. You know, I, I think it's the book of Galatians. You correct me if I'm wrong, but it says that we are to adorn the gospel of our God. And the, the word is the word garnish. You know, it's like if you set the table and you, you make Thanksgiving dinner all pretty, you garnish, you set out these pretty things. Well, our life is supposed to enhance the credibility of the message, not undermine it. We are to, we are to adorn the gospel of our God with a, a true and authentic life, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And some other uh, listeners, Alex, have jumped in. Uh, a hard lesson not to put people on a pedestal. Everyone will let you down eventually, and God can use even non-believers for people to come to Christ. And I'm just con- concerned for so many listeners uh, that have loved uh, Just Thinking with Robbie Zacharias. It was on the station, and I tuned in yeah. all the time myself. And a lot, of pe- a lot of people have books and tapes and podcasts, and they go, well, what do I do with all this? And I think our message to them was, uh, you know, God's Word is will never return void. That's true. That's true. It's like I told the attorney who reached out to me. I never met this guy. This guy called me from across the country. 
And I said, um, you didn't invite a Christian into your heart that might let you down, but you invited Christ into your heart who will never let you down. Um, and, and you're right. Um, I've loved Josh McDowell. I've loved Billy Graham. Oh, my goodness. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's not an evangelist or apologist or minister out there who hasn't been touched by Billy Graham. Um, and, and we all have our heroes. I've had my musical heroes. I've had my theological heroes. But um, we've got to remember to keep our eyes on the only perfect man that ever came down the pike, mm-hmm. and that's the Lord Jesus. Um, and But I, I really do think the impetus is on all of us, the, um, the responsibility— I've got this poem, um, and it wasn't specifically Christian, but in a way it, it's true. It says, uh, a careful man I ought to be, a little fellow follows me. Do you remember that poem? It was a poem for daddies, really. You know, be be a good daddy, be a faithful and true father and husband and spouse, because little eyes are watching. And that wasn't a, a specifically Christian poem, but in a way it's true. Every man and woman and and everybody, if we name the name of Christ, we have an obligation to a watching world, I believe. Mm -hmm. Kevin said, when you are as big as Robbie, the devil hits you with tremendous temptation. True. Mm -hmm. That's true. Satan doesn't give up, does he? No. Another comment that came in, I've been divorced, grieve it, and yet am wounded by harsh words. I'm not sure I can agree with the way... This was depicted. I now see that in that sermon. I was disrespectful. I was hurtful. I wounded people in ways that were devastating, Lucato said. Mm. So he did apologize. Well, but Well, well you know, um, the, the Holy Spirit can help us achieve that balance that we can share truth, but we don't bludgeon people with it. Right, you know? right. Um, we, we can speak truth and... Uh, you know, sometimes, hey, it, it does hurt. I mean, we have to admit that we're sinners and we, we need Christ. And I think this is one of the things that is so unique to the Christian message. Um, the bad news is we're sinners, but God loves us. We're valuable to God. Bill, I want to say to every one of your listeners, no matter where you are spiritually, Almighty God loves you, and you're valuable to God. And God wants to... Um, I love Joel 2.25. God will restore the years the locust has eaten. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, we we ourselves put the locusts into our life. Yeah. Uh, but God can forgive, God can restore, and that, that's always good news. Yeah. Alex, thanks so much. Have a safe weekend as you travel, and look forward to chatting with you in a couple of weeks. Hey, I hope so. I'm going to be at the Cove June 25 through 27, the Billy Graham Training Center. Awesome. Going through the Book of Acts. Awesome. Come see me at the Cove. Fantastic. We'll take a little break. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Alan Wright and his new book, The Power to Bless. Be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill I think this is a topic you're really going to like. Have you ever felt like like something's holding you back 
as if you almost lack an important key that could change everything. Or maybe there's someone that you love, that you love, and maybe that that person is stuck, and you'd really like to help them, but how are you going to do it? What, What piece is missing? Maybe it's a blessing where they need a positive, faith-filled vision spoken over their life. My guest today has written a book on the power to bless, how to speak life and empower the people you love. His name is Alan Wright. He's a senior pastor at uh, Rinalda Church in North Carolina, and he is uh, my first uh, time being on the show. Alan, welcome. Bill, what an honor to be with you. You're Uh, nice to uh, say that. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, you're in North Carolina. I just talked to... um, my last guest, Alan Mc, uh, Alex McFarland, who lives in North Carolina. Yes, great. I don't know if you right. know Alex, but I'm curious how you weathered the uh, tornado. Uh, we were we were fine. We oh, were good. fine, and uh, we keep getting uh, these uh, threats here that make Minnesotans laugh uh, at the things we cancel. Just the threat <laughs> of a little bit of ice, and it's happened like three times in the last two weeks. Where they say, you you know. Uh, one time we canceled church, like there's going to be some ice tomorrow, and then it was just a cold rain. So we, we keep having three, three, three cold rains in the last two weeks. So, yeah, it's been rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, saw, I saw some Minnesota temperatures, though. Oh, my. Yeah. Ellen, uh, w- one of the goals on my show is not to talk much, uh, but I do ha- want to share a very quick story to, to get into your uh, book. I speak, I speak on Friday nights at a recovery center, men who are recovering from drugs and alcohol, and several years ago, I, I said, is, does anyone here, would you like to be prayed over, a blessing prayed over you? And I said, I'm going to stick around for a while afterwards. So if you, if you want to come up and get a blessing, you can. <laughs> what did I get myself into? <laughs> because the line was long. And I have to tell you, Alan, there were tears streaming down faces. Yeah. So let's talk about the power of a blessing. Yes. Well, uh, and you, as you realize, Bill, once you connect with someone by speaking blessing and you realize how it's like water to this very dry place, like feeding something that's very malnourished. And I've had the same experience when I bless people, uh, tears usually. And, and, um, so it just proves that we have, we have missed, um, this, what is really, a deep, essential, fundamental part of our design, and certainly from a biblical framework, a a fundamental of the Christian life. I mean, maybe not quite on the level with prayer, but it's a fundamental. And yet, yet when I speak to Christian groups, they start with the question, well, what do you mean by blessing? And, And I was thinking recently, speaking to a men's group about blessing, and I said, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be something if I was coming in to speak on prayer and we had to start with the question, what is prayer? Uh, but in the biblical mindset, I mean, a, a, a Hebrew patriarch or anyone living in Jesus' day, if you would think of a silly question, what do you mean by blessing? But somehow we've missed it, and it, it, it is from the biblical standpoint more than a compliment, different than a prayer. It is a positive vision. It's spoken in faith and accord with God's word, consistent with God's word. And it establishes, it helps release an identity in someone to form that identity. And out of that identity, then uh, they live life. They live, that's where destiny comes from. That's where, so, so uh, it's so exceedingly powerful. And 
um, it's a big part of the reason I wrote the book is I just feel like we, we're, we have been largely ignorant of this essential. I wish I had the a book two years ago when I when I did this for the first time because I just didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. I just desperately prayed that God would speak through me. But you've really laid out how to speak life and empower the people that you love. So you've given us some great tools. Uh, but let's talk a little bit how the theme of blessing, it, it really shapes the whole narrative of Scripture, doesn't it? It absolutely does. I mean, if you think about in the beginning... You know, so so much is there in just Genesis 1. In the beginning, uh, so God creates. He's a creator. But as soon as he says, let there be light, he, he celebrates it. He says, that, that's good. <laughs> and when he comes to the pinnacle of creation, he creates Adam and Eve. And the first interaction, just the first interaction God has with the pinnacle of his creation, with human beings, is he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion in the earth. And Starting right there, you can see that this is going to be a theme of all of Scripture. It's going to run all the way through Scripture. It becomes the narrative of the patriarchs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It becomes the question of the people of God. Are they going to know that they're blessed? Will will Abraham know himself blessed and that he's going to be a blessing? Will the people of God believe that they're blessed enough to inherit a promised land, or will they feel like grasshoppers? We watch David bless his household. We watch the prophets speak out blessing. We see Moses lay out blessing and curse. And then when Jesus comes, even when he's born, this strange man Simeon appears and blesses the infant Jesus. Jesus starts his ministry with a series of beatitudes, blessings. All the parents are always bringing to Jesus their little ones because they want him to bless them. In fact, the last thing Jesus does that's pictured in the Gospels is he lifts up his hands and he blesses his disciples before he ascends to heaven. It is arguably the theme of Scripture, uh, the blessing of God that goes on from generation to generation and how it is that we're to speak it over one another's lives. It's really a golden thread that in many ways weaves the whole of the Bible together. Alan, has the, the, the term blessing, has it gotten watered down a little bit? Have we gotten casual with it versus helping we, people got, truly understand what it is and, and how important it is? Absolutely. You know, I, I think, you know, what it's like when you go through, uh, come up with a title for a book, and there for a while we, we thought about giving it the title Beyond ha- Hashtag Blessed, you mm-hmm. know, because it's been so trivialized, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, the, you know, like, had a great dinner tonight, uh, hashtag blessed, you know, right. got, got elected uh, prom queen, hashtag blessed. <laughs> and I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just on and on until we were like, what does it even mean anymore? And and then and then the fact that we, quote, say the blessing before dinner or say God bless you when somebody sneezes, um, I think we've, we, we have trivialized the meaning of it because uh, really with, with God, it is a mystical expression of, of power and grace. I mean, I think here's the fundamental question. Are we so designed in the image of God and in Christ, engrafted into Christ, that we, in a sense, collaborate with God, co-labor with God to help release this blessing in the world? And, And I think the answer from the Bible is absolutely yes. And so there's a there is a mysterious power uh, to blessing. There's something that is it is a means of the expression of of God's power and His grace into others' lives. And so it is a profound thing. You you know when I first began understanding this, I was completely taken by the narrative 
of Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And it, uh, some of the listeners may know the story. Uh, Jacob steals Esau's blessing by pretending to be Esau. And the, the old father, Isaac's nearly blind. He blesses Jacob, thinking he's blessing Esau. And shortly thereafter, Esau comes in and says, you know, Dad, where's my blessing? And you would think in our modern Western mentality that, you know, Isaac would just say, oh, whoops, you know, bless the wrong kid. Uh, okay, I'll do it over again. But that's not what the text says. The text says Isaac trembled violently. Mm. And he said, who was it then that I blessed? Wow. I have blessed him, and indeed he'll be blessed. And, you know, Bill, when I saw that many years ago, I thought, that is so far away from any idea that we think of when we think of blessing, something that has irrevocable power to it like that. And you start realizing this is a missing ingredient in our daily lives. Alan, I'm just thinking of when Jesus was baptized and he comes out of the waters of baptism and the heavens part, a dove descends and the voice of God says, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. I'm just thinking for the first time, is that a, was that a blessing or was that more of a declaration a or both? It's, it's, it's both because okay. blessing is really declaration. Okay. So, and isn't that something, you know, I've thought a lot about that also, Bill, that here's Jesus getting ready to start his ministry and he's going to be tempted in the desert for yeah. 40 days. Right. And what, what he needed before going into that spiritual battle was his father's blessing. So even the sinless Son of God needed the Father's blessing. In fact, you could say that Jesus is the truly blessed one who shows us what it means to be blessed. And then when we accept Christ, we get engrafted into Christ, and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Him. When you get that blessing, though, Alan, you go out into the world in strength. Yes. You know, when when an earthly father says to, to his earthly son, uh, you're my boy. You have my name. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'd say that kid yeah. goes out into the world in strength. When you bless someone, you are establishing them, and I talk about this in great detail in the book, in a sense of real security. So the way of the world is to withhold the blessing, like dangling a carrot as motivation. Like if you perform and you run a little faster, you jump a little higher, then I'll give you some blessing. And see, God is exactly the opposite. When he blessed Adam and Eve, he blessed them, and then he said, be fruitful and multiply. I think, Bill, for most of my life, uh, I've experienced it the reverse of that. I thought, if I perform well, then I'll be, I'll be blessed. I, you know, I know that you have a, a beautiful recovery ministry. I, I grew up the son of an alcoholic. I loved my dad. He was brilliant. It was wonderful in many ways, and yet he left home when I was in fourth grade. And, it, it, you know, when you're a fourth grader and your dad leaves home— mm, so and, sorry, Alan. And he, yeah, and he's taking my alcohol. You don't—that fourth grader doesn't, doesn't have the capacity to say, no. this is not really my issue, you know? You, you don't have that ability to say, well, you know, dad's got issues and, and you know, this is not my issue. No. There's something inside of you that becomes insecure. Hey, Alan, you don't have and, you don't have language to process any of that when you're in fourth you grade. Don't. You don't have language for it. You can understand it. So what happens to the fourth grader's soul is you begin to have in that shame. You begin to have a sense there's something about me that's not blessed. So what is wrong with me, and what do I need to do in order to be blessed? This is why it becomes so spiritually powerful when we bless 
the unaffirmed soul. Hmm. Because when we begin to bless, in many ways we're standing in for that authoritative figure who never never knew how or wasn't present or was distracted by alcohol or whatever it was that didn't bless. And and when we stand in in that position, you see, we we are we're we are affirming and putting security in. It's like it's like when when as I talk about in the book, when Jacob blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, the first thing he did was he adopted them. And and it's like expressing the adopting love of God. See, what God wants is for us to be secure in His love, so that we won't fear. And if we withhold blessing, it is adapting our motivational style to the principle of fear, which is really the scheme of hell. And so with God, he gives blessing to establish security, because I contend that most of our problems, in fact, most of our sin, are related to our insecurities and the fears that are bred by those insecurities. So we want people to be secure. We're not excusing their sin to affirm their worth. Instead, we're establishing them and an identity, and from that identity, then they can live the life of flourishing and fruitfulness that God has intended for them. Mm-hmm. Alan, you've got some statements here in your book that are are provocative, and I can't wait to come back from our break and ask you what they mean. Uh, Alan Wright is my guest. His book is The Power to Bless, How to Speak Life and Empower the People You Love. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm with Alan Wright. He's written a book called The Power to Bless, How to Speak Life and Empower the People You Love. Uh, During the break, Alan, I was talking to Rosie and Ben here in the studio, and they were saying, boy, you use the word provocative. You you don't use that word very often, so I'm excited to get to what that is. And you say in the book that positive identity comes before productivity. So how does blessing instill identity, and why is that so important? Well, if you think about... um if you really think about it, what is it that forms uh, our behaviors? It really is more our identity. Um, I, I think of it almost this way. I was thinking about my kids uh, after they were grown. One time I was talking to my son, and, and he and, and my daughter, they were, they were always real diligent students. And yet we we had been kind of low-pressure uh, parents uh, in, in terms of – I never remembered having to go, hey, get on in your homework, get on it, and all of that. And I remember one time asking my son, it was after he graduated from law school, he'd done well. I said, I said you know, you, you've been such a good student. I'm really proud of you. And I said, you know, what, what – I don't, I don't remember ever pressuring you. He said, no. I said, why did you study so hard? And he said, well, I just thought of myself as an A student, and so I just generally applied myself to do whatever's necessary to make the A. Mm. And I think it's about that simple, right? So we're way better off, instead of badgering somebody to become something, to help them form an identity. Even when we would discipline the kids, my wife had a great line, you know, when your kid's doing something, you're like, what in the world have you done? You know, like that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But instead of calling them dumb, you know, she'd say, God gave you a great brain. I expect you to use it. Um, so, <laughs> mm-hmm. so rather, we want to we want to call people who they are actually destined to be. 
And whether they're acting like it or not at that moment, because really it's it's out of that identity then that, that we we are able to behave and flourish. I mean, Jesus called Simon Peter a rock while Simon was still really shifty sand and, and would still deny Jesus three times. But he saw him for who he was destined to be, designed to be. And I think in many ways that's what we do when we bless. We're, we're, we're proclaiming, here's a virtue I see in you, and here's how it helps define your identity. And we speak that with real discernment and in accord with God's Word, and that identity becomes a part of a person. And the more that they see themselves and their identity in Christ, the more they're going to live that way. And Ellen, this next one is going to get a lot of people's attention, so I'm going to say this slowly and carefully. The inability to accept and love ourselves may be the single greatest obstacle to living the blessed life God intends for us. Please explain. There's a huge difference between self-absorption and self-acceptance or self-love. I remember when I first really saw this bill, I was studying, uh, I guess, my favorite story of Jesus, the, the story of the man with two sons. We call it the prodigal son. But it's really a, a father with these two sons. And the younger son has gone off to wild living and squanders his inheritance amongst the pigs and the prostitutes. And I remember thinking about this, you know, younger son, and the thought came to me, like I'm putting it down to write in a message, you know. His problem was that all he cared about was himself. And, and it was not, not an audible voice, but it was like the Spirit really prompted me in those moments with this awareness, like the question, really, he cared for himself? He loved himself? And I began to realize, would you ever, you know, like I would say to listeners now, think of somebody you really, really love. I mean somebody you love. Would you ever in a million years send them to the pigs and the prostitutes? Would you ever encourage them to go and squander their inheritance? Would you ever send them into their own uh, abasing behaviors and humiliation of their family? Of course not. You'd only do that to someone you hate. And I began to think a lot more about how we often hate ourselves without realizing it, and we reject the very, the very creation that God made, and we we dishonor that which God has actually through Christ has 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 redeemed and and has is destined for glory. And so, if we can't accept our forgiven selves and learn in a godly way to truly love ourselves, then we will be forever thinking about ourselves. Hmm. We'll forever be worrying about ourselves. I think Tim, Tim Keller has said it so well. He said, you know, you don't think about your big toe right. unless it's hurting. Right. You know? right. If it's hurting, though, that's all you think about. Mm-hmm. So the person's ego, when it's hurting, when your identity is fractured, when your soul is hurting, then you've got to think about self all the time. But see, when you're truly secure and you have accepted yourself in grace and you've, you've learned to love your, yourself, now you don't have to think about yourself. Mm-hmm. So narcissism is self-absorption, but godliness is an expression of self-acceptance in Christ. And it, it's so hugely important, Bill, and I, it's, it's sometimes hard to convince uh, Christians of this because we— We've been so reared in the in in the in the dwelling on how much we sin and and the problem of that that we can begin to think that 
accepting and, and loving the self that God has redeemed is somehow wrong, but it's not. It's pivotal in living a life that God's designed us to live. Mm-hmm. Alan, one of my really uh, smart listeners, they're all smart, who write, my, write, my sh- write to my show, makes a comment about the Hebrew word for bless in Psalm 34 and other Psalms basically means to kneel. Do you yes. come across that as well? Yes. And, and, and really, uh, one Hebrew scholar, a dear friend of mine, has helped me understand this, that it probably comes from when a, when a, when a camel, it's odd if you ever watch a camel kneel down, but they, 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 they move down and they have to lower themselves down. And the reason they would kneel is because they would load the camel with goods that then the camel was going to transport. And what a beautiful thought of this is probably the origin of what it means mm. to bless. Wow. To kneel, right? You So you take down into a posture of I'm ready to receive the goods. And then you let them be loaded upon you so that then you can transport that somewhere else. Mm. Um, that's, I think, the origin of the idea, the Hebrew idea of bless. Mm-hmm. Alan, is, is a blessing an act of grace? It's an act of grace, and it's, it, it, is, it is the expression of grace and an act of grace and a means of grace. So the ultimate grace, the ultimate blessing is Christ died for the ungodly while we were still in our sin. So the gospel is not, hey, live a good life, a godly life, read your Bible, pray, give, and do ministry, and God will really bless you. That, that's not the gospel. The gospel is God loves you and has blessed you with the perfect gift of Jesus Christ, Therefore, yield your life to him, serve him with all your heart and joy and give. Because blessing comes first, that makes it the very epitome of grace. Alan, do we withhold blessing from people who aren't acting right? If we withhold the blessing from people who aren't acting right, then we're going to make the problem even greater. (laughs) We give blessing to those that aren't acting right so they can be transformed. That's the way God changed us. Mm -hmm. So if people get this book, and it's a lovely book, what what do you hope they're going to walk away with after reading this book? Every single person can start today receiving blessing and can start today. It's for every Christian, it's for every person to learn how to bless others. Anyone can do it, and the book tells you exactly how you'll be nourished, inspired, and become a blessing to other people. Mm-hmm. And if you bless somebody, and obviously you, you're good at this, uh, how long does it? How long do you spend blessing somebody? Give me an example of what you might say. Well, maybe bless me. I remember one. <laughs> I, I'll tell you right now. Bless Rosie. Bill, I she's, don't know you personally, but I know that you have multiple gifts. I can tell. And you have depth in your soul, and God has made you a thoughtful person and has taken your intelligence and using it to bless many, many lives. And I believe that he's going to continue and maybe extend in ways that you haven't even imagined. That's about 30 seconds, and that's wow. all it takes. Yeah, I have to tell you, I have a big smile ear to ear right now. That was amazing. <laughs> That was, uh, thank you so much for that. That was uh, very, very interesting, and you gave us so much to think about. And the power to bless is so important. And if you miss the blessing, then what? If you've missed the blessing, it's never too late to receive. Yay. I asked my dad to bless me, and he, he did best he could. And then I sought out spiritual fathers 
and also learn to read the Bible in a whole new way. The Bible's not an instruction book. It's a a great love story of how God came to bless your life, and you can discover your identity in the Word of God. Yeah, it's an important topic, Alan. You've addressed it well. Thank you so much for doing the show. Really nice to meet you and have you on the program, and I'd love to cover this topic again because I think it's so important. Please, I'd love to come back, Bill. What an honor to be with you, and God bless. Thank you. Alan Wright's been my guest. His book is called The Power to Bless, How to Speak Life and Empower the People You Love. We'll take a little break, and then Hour 2 is just ahead. We've got an encore presentation with the one and only Lee Strobel. We'll be right back in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.